This is Warner Lewis, and welcome to another edition of Lewis at Large, smart talk and conversation with talented people from all walks of life. A reminder to subscribe to these Lewis at Large podcasts, go to Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you like the podcast, hey, let others know about it. For context, my interview with Dennis Kucinich was recorded in June of 2021. We are extremely pleased uh, to break Boy, We've done hundreds of these shows. We have never had this young man on before, but we're extremely pleased to have him. Uh, Dennis Kucinich is a, uh, I'm not even sure how to describe him exactly, but we'll do, we'll do some sort of typical bio stuff, but he's so much more than that. Uh, you know him from American politics, but he served as a, the mayor of Cleveland, Ohio from 1977 to 79. He was in the Ohio Senate representing the 23rd District from 95 to 97, and 16 years in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1997 to 2013. He did run twice for the Democratic nod for the United States presidency, uh, and in the past has been endorsed not only by those on the left, but he also praised Donald Trump's inaugural speech as inspirational. You have seen him on Fox News while speaking out, uh, on the other hand, about all kinds of liberal causes across America. A truly interesting piece of fabric indeed. Uh, Dennis, how are you, my friend? Warner, great to be with you. I'm doing great uh, here in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, I appreciate the chance to, uh, to be on your show. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, uh, I'm ex- I've always been intrigued uh, following your career and listening to you and listening to the those that praise you, those that curse you, and then those that praise you again and curse you again. But uh, we are also going to be talking about uh, what I think is an interesting, fascinating new work called The Division of Light and Power, uh, which we will dive into here in just a little bit. But let's do this. Uh, if you would share with our Lewis at Large listeners, what was the path that led you towards public service to begin with? Uh, I think each one of us has an ability to make a difference. I chose to make a difference in public life. Uh, I feel our lives don't belong just to ourselves in a way that they belong to the larger community as well. And it's important to give uh, always give back to the people. And so I chose a career in public service at a very early age. I started uh, my first election. I was 20. I was elected when I was 22, took office when I was 23. And the story in the division of uh, Light and Power, Warner, begins with uh, a blackout that occurs at Christmas time. All the lights go off in downtown Cleveland. And uh, that starts my journey of discovery, like why are the lights going off, what is actually happening here. And it led me on a uh, a journey through corporate espionage, sabotage, uh, dealing with uh, organized crime, assassination attempts. I mean, this is this story is one that may not have happened uh, in in American history be- ever, except in Cleveland. But what happened in Cleveland? kind of rips the veil away from the system of control that goes on a lot of big cities. And I think people are going to be interested to read the book to find out how the system actually works from somebody who's on the inside. When people think about Dennis uh, Kucinich, uh, they probably have multiple feelings about that. Do you believe, uh, and again, I don't want to veer too far from the book, but just touching briefly on your political past, uh, criticisms and praises lobbed your way, fair or unfair? Oh, look, I don't have any problem with that. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I look at it this way. 
we live in America. People are free to say what they want. Um, one must, if, if you're in the public arena, you have to stay focused on what you're trying to achieve. And if you get criticized, uh, listen carefully what they're saying, move ahead. And if people applaud you, listen briefly to what they're saying and then move ahead. But not to be affected either too much by the criticism or the applause. Just remember what your commitment is. And mine has always been to the people I represented. And no, I don't mind criticism. I have to tell you a quick story. You know, when I was mayor, I had my share of criticism. I had a, 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 a file cabinet. And I told people, any articles that you had in there that are negative, just, you know, just put them all in there. I think by the time I left office, there may have been 25,000 articles that were not, roughly 25,000 that were not positive. And you know what? I never looked at them because I don't, I don't swallow, you know, poison and I don't swallow uh, sweetness. If somebody wants to be nice, I just am committed to doing the work. And as a result, it's kept me strong enough to take on some fights that basically no politician uh, during that time has had to take on in terms of taking on interest groups that represent crony capitalism, that represent uh, uh, monopolies who just are trying to hose people and take all the money they can out of, out of them. You know, my story is one of one person, a young person then, who was determined to make a difference, notwithstanding the criticism, the pressures, and what's interesting is years later people would say, well, I was right, but they didn't know the whole story, and that's what I've told now. Okay, let's turn our attention to your time as mayor of Cleveland and, and leading towards this entire issue. Uh, extraordinary story that you talk about, this unique battle that you had. When you ran for, as, as you approached the mayoralship of Cleveland, was it in your mind, is the mayor's job to be proactive and visionary or one that in essence is sort of functional and reactive to make sure the city, so to speak, runs, the trains run on time? Well, you have to do all that. Uh, you know, I was a councilman before I was mayor. I was clerk of courts before I was mayor. So I served in legislative, judicial, and executive branches. Uh, you know, you, you have to provide basic services, and we did. I ran the city on, on a, uh, without borrowing any money for two years, and we cut spending by 18% without reducing services because there's a certain extent to which government can become a racket if you don't watch how the money's being spent. And, did I, and I really watched how it was being spent. Our problem was that uh, the banks tried to muscle the city to sell our electric system. And, you know, I didn't go along because that's, you know, I'm, I'm not made in a way that somebody says we've well, got to do this or else. So, you know, it uh, ended up being a battle royal in Cleveland. Uh, events happened there that have never happened anywhere else in American history. At least they've never been brought forward. Right. And, and, uh, uh, and I, you know, in many ways, I was lucky to get out of it alive. I'm talking to you from my living room in Cleveland, where years ago, when I was mounting a campaign to save our electric system, a high-powered rifle shot missed my head by a fraction. And, you know, I mean, there are risks in taking on some of these uh, powerful interest groups. But, you know, inevitably, public life is about what do you stand for? And if you don't stand for anything, why even do it? Right. All right. Well, let's 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 dive in here again. For those that are not familiar, if you would give us a little bit of a setup of what was the situation at, at the time at present day Cleveland. And you said the night the lights went out. 
talk to us a little bit about that, what caused them, so to speak, to go out and tell us, draw the battle lines, so to speak, of the story. Sure. Okay. I'm uh, 23 years old. I'm about to take office as a new councilman. Most of the people in the council are old enough to be my grandparents. And so the lights are out in downtown Cleveland just a week before I was supposed to take office. And I started asking a question, why is this happening? The boilermaker at the utility that the city owned told me, look, this private company is blocking our repairs and they won't give us emergency power and we're stuck with a, with a blackout. Well, that got me raising more questions. And in my journey, what I found out that this uh, private utility monopoly, which wanted to take over the city's utility, competed with the city utility and you know neighbor by neighbor what they're trying to do is to have a monopoly in the city of cleveland and in order to get that they caused the city council not to pass legislation to fix up the public power system so you know they could make electricity and then when the city couldn't make its own electricity the private utility stopped the city from buying power from any place else other than from then them and then they charge the city three times the going rate so they were bleeding the city and trying to force the sale of the system i got involved and then the political system started to go south and what i did i i saw them try to sell the system outright at a cut rate i mean this was so bad and i blocked that and that's where you know i the risk started to come in i got elected mayor on a promise to save the system you would think the the story ended there no on December 15, 1978, the biggest bank in the state told me that either I agree as the mayor to sell that electric system to the private power company, which the bank was a business partner, that if I didn't do that, they were not going to renew the city's credit on loans I hadn't even taken out. So it was extortion. I said no. They put the city into default. The people of Cleveland passed a tax to take the city out of default and a promise from the banks that they would do that. The tax passed. The bank still kept us in default until I, you know, until after I left office, which is unbelievable. And then uh, uh, these interest groups are still demanding that I sell the light system. I mean, these events that happen in Cleveland, you know, strip uh, away the uh, the cover that uh, shields people's eyes from, you know, corporate uh, interference in government. And, you know, government isn't the font of all knowledge and love and mercy. But I'll tell you this, when corrupt interests try to grab what belongs to the people, somebody's got to take a stand. And that's what I did. So I'm curious as to at the time, there was obviously no social media. Uh, there, the lines of uh, information distribution were limited. How how was aware was the press of all this? How What was their take on it? And what was, you sort of described the public reaction, but share with us a little bit about some of the sort of the outrage, so to speak. How'd that word get out? Well, the, me- the media was in the tank for the utilities because the utilities are the biggest advertisers. And so they, they were, part of the book describes how Really good reporters lost their jobs because they were exposing uh, uh, things that were happening at the uh, utility monopoly, and the media was, uh, you know, the, the book. Unfor- you know, un- I say unfortunately because, you know, I've been part of the media and I always liked them to be on the level, but in this case, they were working with the uh, this private utility company, the Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company, to force the sale of Muni Light, even though they knew full well that this was a very bad thing for the city and a, and a, and a really a crooked deal. Yeah, you know, it, 
this was a case of every institution in the town, including both political parties, by the way, uh, turning against the interests of the people. I, I, when I was elected mayor, I was elected as an independent. I beat both the Democratic and the Republican candidates to get elected mayor. If you just joined us, yours truly, Warner Lewis from the flight deck of Lewis at Large. Got a really good one going here with uh, a name that uh, you are very familiar with, Dennis Kucinich. Uh, former mayor of Cleveland, of which the era we're talking about right now, but also served in the Ohio uh, State Senate, also served in the United States House of Representatives, ran for president a couple of times, uh, and you have seen him on a variety of different networks, including Fox News, Bill O'Reilly, amongst others. Dennis, uh, let's talk again about, so now you're in the throes of this. Um, is the city, so do we have politicians lining up on one side and industry on another, media on another. Tell us a little bit about some of the division. Uh, did the city fall into two camps, or was it more than two? No, it was one, cell. <laughs> okay. And, and the, people, the people had no clue what was going on. They couldn't understand why, uh, with, with the way the media was spinning the story, as you got this uh, municipal electric plant that's fallen apart, and you should sell it and get it off uh, the city's uh, hands. And the people really didn't understand why the media was pushing that. And the media was pushing uh, an agenda which resulted in this pivotal moment of uh, uh, December 15, 1978, the screaming front-page headlines. You know, you have to sell Muni Light or the, or the city's going to default. But no one ever made the connection. Like, why is that true? What does that have to do with the price of bread? And so what happens is that the people were misled. And, they, and in some cases, they didn't figure it out until years later. Uh, I lost the election in 79, but I came back in <clears throat> 15 years later after people figured out what actually happened. That is that I saved a system and uh, saved them money by taking a stand. I mean, again, just about one person who you know, summon whatever energy you have to say, I'm not going to bend just because you say this is the price of uh, staying in office. And, they took, you know, I was offered $50 million by the biggest bank in the state if I would agree to sell our electric system to the private company that the bank was a business partner of. And I said no, and a lot of people at the time couldn't say, you know, couldn't figure out, why are you turning down $50 million, Dennis, you know? And I thought, well, you know, there is this thing about the city's utility being worth a quarter of a billion, but you know, we don't need to go there. Right. It just they're trying to they're trying to force me to do this. And I used a parable from the Bible about the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were told by King Nebuchadnezzar to worship an idol of gold, and they wouldn't do it. He threw them into the furnace, but they came out whole. And I told that story on on the night of default and. You know, it turned out to be uh, prophetic because uh, even though, you know, I was thrown into the political fire, I I came out whole. And, you know, there's a point at which you have to decide what you stand for. And I'm not I'm not into worshiping idols of gold. I'm not into, you know, what people say, well, if you don't do this, your career is over. To me, uh, the people who put me in there were in the neighborhoods of the city. And that's who I had to stand for at last. And, you know, they're the ones that I had to account to, not uh, corporate interests who were working on their narrow concerns and they didn't own me. So I was free to act on behalf of people. 
We are talking again with Dennis Kucinich and uh, former mayor of Cleveland, amongst other things, but specifically about a new work that he has penned called The Division of Light and Power, an extraordinary story of power, politics, uh, monopolies, uh, and much more uh, occurring in the city of Cleveland. Dennis, boy, boy, when you hear this, you think, my God, this is... We've got to be careful here, but this sort of borderline, it, 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 at, at best, borders on criminal activity as well. Tell us a little oh, bit Warner, about that. I, Tell Warner, us about that Warner, angle. You are, you are right on target there. It was criminal. But just because something's a crime doesn't mean that it's, it's done by corporations, you know, or people with, in the media. They can make it, they can make it good. Uh, in a just society, the head of the bank that offered me $50 million, uh, if I had agreed to sell the city's electric system, he he should have uh, been charged with extortion. Uh, but, you know, instead he was one of the leading citizens. Uh, that happens. That's the world. The question is, what do we stand for as individuals? And so, um, you know, I have to people tell me today, Warner, that this book reminds them of the movie Chinatown. Others have said that it it it's a combination of The Godfather and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington because... Obviously, when I got in politics, I just came out of the neighborhoods of the city. I didn't understand how the whole system worked, but boy, did I get an education. So let me ask you something. As as through all of this experience, well, we need let, let let's wrap this up here. So and I, I know it's not an easy wrap up, but share with us uh, sort of things move along. Tell us sort of the final resolution, so to speak, and sort of as I, I suppose the resulting then not only political atmosphere but the whole. As everyone stepped back and looked away from, what were the lessons learned out of this, Dennis? Lessons learned were this: that. One person can make a difference. That one individual can take a stand and and really change things and have an impact. I mean, I saved the people of Cleveland hundreds of millions of dollars on utility rates and taxes, but even that is insignificant compared to the urgency of standing up and speaking out, even if everything's on the line, even if your career's on the line, even if your life's on the line, do the right thing and don't worry about uh, what the consequences are because... I mean, otherwise, why are we alive? What do we live for? What is, you know, what's this whole journey about if you can't stand in there and, and fight back when you know uh, what you're doing is right? And, I, and what I was doing was right, and it took people years to figure that out, Warner. Well, you must, uh, as you look back on your career, uh, would you say, is this crowning achievement number one? Uh, you know what? It's like every day is a new day for me. I, I really look at it that way. I started a career as a very young person, and I would encourage all young people to think about involvement in public life. But I started as a young person, and it was a journey of exploration, and it was an odyssey. And so, you know, I can't say what my accomplishments are, but I can tell you this, that I'm not afraid to take a stand, that I paid a price, but I, you know, I'm... Uh, it, to me, that's the essence of freedom. And, you know, if you're going to have a, a democratic tradition, there are people who have to take a stand. I mean, there are other people who risk their lives for a democracy. So what's the problem with risking a career? 
I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, as a result, uh, sp- not only of your just all the things that happened to you uh, and that you were involved with as mayor, but in this particular story in particular, uh, the battles with the utilities and the banks, et cetera, did it leave you uh, more cynical about things that are happening, uh, whether it happens in our cities or in our nation or in our world? Or did it make, give you more hope that, yes, an individual can make a difference? Winner, I am the eternal optimist. Hope springs eternal in the heart of man, as the poet said. And I'm, and I'm someone who believes that, um, uh, that we're here to make a difference and that if we're dedicated uh, you don't worry about if you win a certain game or or a, a series. You stay in there. And, you know, there was a, a, a poem years ago by a, a writer by the name of Grantland Rice. Uh, he was a sports writer. And he talked about, uh, you know, being having the odds against you. And he said, keep coming back. And though the world may romp across your spine, let each new day find you still upon the battle line for when that one great score comes to mark one on your name, he writes, not that you won or lost, but how you played the game. And so, you know, to me, it was, it, it was always about doing the right thing and not worrying about, you know, the outcome. As soon as you start worrying about the outcome, uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> okay. Well, it's an extraordinary read, The Division of Light and Power uh, by Dennis Kucinich. Uh, you know him from a long career, uh, public career and public service. Uh, before we get out of here, though, uh, one of the things we did want to make sure that we mentioned is that uh, this show's home base, I don't think it's any secret, is in Lawrence, Kansas, the home of the Kansas Jayhawks. And we are very pleased to share. Dennis, if you would, tell us a little bit about your sports career. <laughs> well, I actually played for the Jayhawks, not the ones in Lawrence, Kansas. But the ones in, at the uh, St. John Cantor's High School in Cleveland Hall, a third string, uh, four foot nine, ninety-five uh, pound varsity quarterback, and uh, you know, still, still hearing the, in my ears from the sidelines that uh, "Let's go Jayhawks!" Okay, so I'm like, you know, when I, I mean, I, we, our whole house was. Insignia, and so I'm. Uh, I've I've been a, a fan of the Kansas Jayhawks uh, because we were with the little Jayhawks. <laughs> did you have the, Did you have the Jayhawk as your mascot, or was it a different one? Well, it, it wasn't a real one, but it was the Jayhawk. Absolutely, oh. <laughs> I mean, with the with the red face and the blue, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, that, that's why I've always felt connected to. Uh, to uh, to you know Kansas and uh, Lawrence because of the connection with the Jayhawks and I I mean you know once a Jayhawk always a Jayhawk whether you're from Lawrence or from Cleveland yeah that's right so <laughs> you know what that is a first I am not sure that we are aware of any other school that uses that as a mascot but uh, undoubtedly they're out there well listen thank you for sharing that and thank you so much for sharing uh, your insights here and your story again the work is the vision of light and power Dennis before we get out of here how can people pick up a copy of it and do you have a website or ways that people can find out a little bit more uh, about what you're up to well, uh, they, you know, right now uh, they can get the book. Uh, they go to FinneyAvenueBooks.com. It'll, uh, F-I-N-N-E-Y, AvenueBooks.com. Uh, we'll give them a number of different selections where to get it. You can also go to Amazon, 
Barnes and Noble, uh, in your local bookstore. You can order it from there. And this book's everywhere, and it's it's getting a lot of great attention. And and um, wonder if you can uh, give uh, the publicist who set this up uh, a um, an email address. I'll send you a picture of when I was uh, uh, on the field for the. Uh, uh, St. John, Kansas Jayhawks. I, I really want to get it to you. You'll, you'll have a, you'll get a big kick yeah, out of it. That's going to happen, and we're going to try to put it up on our show website as well at some point. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Uh, have a wonderful 2021, and again, hey, we'd love to have you back on again sometime. Let's do it, and uh, thanks for this very cogent, uh, direct, and searching interview. Appreciate it very much. Well, thanks for joining us for this installment of Lewis at Large. We add new conversations every week, and we like hearing from you. You can contact us via email at warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. That's warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. And you can find out more at lewisatlarge.com or on the Lewis at Large Facebook page. And remember to subscribe to Lewis at Large. Check out Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. Now go have a great day.